Hey guys, Riley here. Welcome to the latest episode of the Podcasters Podcast from Podigy. And today we're talking about what to look for in a podcasting microphone. Because now that we've done software, we got to look at microphones. We touched on them briefly in our guide to podcast recording, but today we're going to break down the different aspects of microphones and hopefully inform you enough to look past the marketing and make informed decisions on mics based on specs. Let's start with one thing that seems to come up most with microphones, which is XLR or USB. The answer to this, as with anything we write about here at Podigy, is it depends, but not for the reasons you may think. So let's back up for a second. To get our voice into the computer, both XLR and USB microphones convert sound waves to an electrical signal. The biggest difference is that an XLR microphone will be plugged into an audio interface that will convert that signal into bytes, while a USB microphone skips over the audio interface and plugs right into the computer. Both the interface and the USB mic will have a converter in them, some sort of chip that handles the analog to digital or AD conversion of the incoming signal. And over the years, much ado has been made about the quality of these chips. You see, recording purists have long been skeptical of the AD chips in USB microphones. The thinking goes that since USB microphones have to house the AD chip as well as some form of preamplifier within such a small space as the microphone capsule, compromises must have been made at some point. And this is true to a degree. In a shootout with most XLR microphones, and certainly any that cost more than, say, $500, you'll notice a real difference in the sound, unquestionably. That being said, comparing a $70 microphone like the ATR2100 to an SM7B, a microphone that costs seven times as much, you'd be foolish to expect the former to have the same quality of components across the board, let alone in AD chips. All of this, of course, is without taking into account the fact that neither of these mics are going to sound as great as they could once you've packaged them in a low bitrate MP3. While you'd be hard pressed to find a pop recording using a USB mic, where the nuances of the performance are central to the song, the way podcasts are distributed strip much of that nuance away anyways. The only real downside from podcasting perspective of USB mics is the added complexity in recording more than one on a single computer. Hindenburg can do it natively, but users of other DAWs will have to set up either aggregate devices on Mac or ASIO for all devices on Windows, which can be a bit of a pain. However, audio interfaces that have more than two inputs can get to be a little pricey, so you may find fiddling with these programs or picking up Hindenburg just to record into to be your best bet. But this is just one aspect of what to consider when you're looking for a microphone. You'll also have to decide on what sort of capsule you'll want. Different capsules have different ways of capturing sound, and are appropriate for different situations. The most common types of capsules are a condenser and dynamic. Condenser microphones use phantom power to power a membrane and measures the fluctuation of current to interpret sound waves. This system and the fact that it is actively powered make condenser microphones incredibly sensitive to sounds around it. Within the context of a recording studio, this can work in the artist's favor as the increased sensitivity can capture the most subtle parts of a performance. However, in an untreated room, using condenser microphone often means picking up lots more ambient noise and crosstalk. Dynamic microphones, on the other hand, use a magnetic coil to record sound waves that, unlike condenser microphones, are not powered. And this has two effects. 
The first is that most dynamic microphones will have more uneven response curves to incoming audio. For podcasters, this means more work with the EQ afterwards to get a natural sound. The second effect of being an unpowered microphone is that dynamic mics are much less sensitive to their surroundings. Most dynamic mics capture sound only from what is directly in front of it. Because of this, dynamic microphones are often used on stage where they are much less likely to feed back than condenser microphones. For podcasters, this also means that much less of the room ambience and crosstalk will be picked up, making them a great choice for podcasters who record in groups or anyone recording in big, empty rooms like apartments. And finally, when you're looking at a microphone, make sure that the one you're picking conforms to normal microphone shapes. This whole podcast has been sort of geared towards making you take a closer look at the Blue Yeti before you buy it, but here I'll be more explicit. Now, before I go deep into the reasons why I'm not a huge fan of the Yeti, I do want to recognize that Blue, as a company, was way ahead of the curve when it came to offering accessible gear to podcasters, which traditionally has been a rather niche and tech dad-oriented industry. Even today, there's an argument to be made that the push to lower-priced audio equipment was primarily driven by Twitch streamers, whose audio needs overlap quite a bit with podcasters, but whose average age skews much younger. But that's a topic for another day. And now that that's out of the way, let's dig into one of the biggest issues with the Yeti, which is that it doesn't really play well with others. It is a jack-of-all-trades mic with switching capsule modes, stereo input, and a sturdy bass built in. And buying a Yeti was justifiable back when it was the best of a handful of budget microphones. But now that the market has matured, there's some glaring design issues. Firstly, people have a lot of trouble getting their computers to recognize two Yetis plugged into them at the same time. It's a convoluted reason as to why, but the short answer is that the Yeti's firmware doesn't make each mic look unique to the computer. So you can only record with the first one that was plugged in. There are tales of Blue sending firmware updates out to people in order to fix this issue, but as far as I can tell, there is no universal solution. Secondly, their accessories are pretty expensive. Because of their unique shape, getting mic stands, pop filters, shock mounts, and other accessories that can accommodate the Yeti can be a bit of a headache. It doesn't conform to normal mic sizes, so everything has to be made specifically for the Yeti design, and thus are more expensive. Now, all this is to say that the Yeti is a great sounding condenser microphone, but I've seen it cause enough headaches for podcasters that I've always warned people that it does require a little more planning to get the most use out of it. And an improperly set up capsule can ruin a whole take of audio if you're not careful. So in summary, most podcasters would be well served by a dynamic microphone with both XLR and USB outputs like the insanely popular ATR2100 or ATR2005. I've used these on plenty of recordings, and they have served me well. If you're looking to spend some serious money on a mic, I would strongly recommend the SM7B. It's what I normally record on, although <laughs> today I'm using an SM58 to test some presets I've been working on with an extra bassy audio. Uh, someday we'll get around to doing a proper shootout on microphones, but I haven't got the time these days to get it all set up. But this is it from us here at Podigy for 2017. We'll be back in the new year with more articles and guides and podcasters podcasts. And actually, I'm working on the first episode of the new year right now. And it's all about hacking the 40-hour podcast. If you aren't intrigued yet, you should be because we're coming out with some serious tips. All right. I'll see you guys in the next year.